0: Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, in the midst of our stillness, let your spirit move. Through the sound of sheer silence, may we hear you whisper. Through the rhythm of creation, set the beating of our hearts. And with the words of the stories we hear today, help us to open our lives to you, to be a changed people. Able and willing to serve you and your creation. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the lesson from today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Phoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man, who had an Im- impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephbatha, that is, be open. And immediately his ears were opened, His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: In my junior year of high school, I would have been 16, uh, I had an English project, creative writing specifically, where I was to select a family member and write about this person from a third-person perspective, point of view. And I chose my papa for a number of reasons, yet specifically I thought it would be easy to write about him, since he was a marksman and a sergeant in the U.S. Army during World War II. So I'd have a lot of history to incorporate in the project. So I turned to members of my family to to gather some details about his life during that period. However, details were scarce. When he returned from the war, he did not speak of his experience. However... While speaking to my aunt, uh, I learned that while he was in Europe, he had a relationship with a woman, and and she had a child. What? (laughs) Come again? (laughs) He offered to marry her, bring her and the child back to the United States. However, she declined. Her family, her life was in Europe, and he was unable, perhaps unwilling to stay. So he left her and the child, his son, behind. Upon returning stateside, he married a young woman, Marjorie, who had been waiting for him while he was at war. Obviously, his indiscretion was not a secret. His children knew. I know. Now you know. (laughs) He made a point of confessing his indiscretion before he married Marjorie, who would become my mamaw, and she forgave him his indiscretion. When I was 21, I visited my grandpa Wooten on our family's farm, and he had retired the previous year, and so he was now living permanently on the farm. So while I was visiting on this particular weekend, uh, a car drove up the drive, and a couple who I would describe as retirees um, got out of the car and approached the house. And it quickly became apparent that Grandpa knew who they were, and so he introduced me and introduced them. They were his neighbors from, from down the road. And Cheryl, in that moment, said, you know, we, we can come back at another time. She didn't know I was going to be there all weekend. And Grandpa said, not a problem. John, John's a good boy. (laughs) So he excuses himself. He goes into the house. I'm standing on the porch with Cheryl and and her husband, whose name I cannot recall, and we're just making small talk. And a couple moments later, Grandpa returns to the porch, and he's carrying a Ziploc bag in his hand. Initially, I thought the Ziploc bag was filled with, with herbs, And it was herbal. You can cook with it. But you won't find it in a spice aisle at the (laughs) local market. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) So here I am, 21. Pretty much my entire life, I have done everything right, everything that's expected. (laughs) Here I am, on the front porch with my retired grandpa realizing that, that he is a small-scale drug dealer. <laughs> that my charitable, tree-hugging, conservationist, liberal, loving grandpa is a drug dealer. He's growing herbal crop on the farm in between the pine trees. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> How did this happen? Where did his life go astray and of course I I was flustered by this um, and to which he assured me not a lot John it's not it's not a lot just enough for me and the neighbors down the road well that'll make it so much better when the FBI (laughs) rolls up the driveway and then he asked you know would you like some to take back home Back to school, I'm not back to school, he said, not home. To which I said, (laughs) no, no. By the way, my grandpa died a few years ago, and um, after he had passed, uh, we no longer produce herbal crop (laughs) on the farm to, to to the brokenheartedness of the neighbors, but we no longer grow crop on the farm. Two men, monolithic in my life, And for most of their living life, I saw both as perfect. Absolutely perfect. In every possible way, they were perfect. Inspirations for my own life, then and still, as I stand before you. However, I would come to learn that they were both flawed men. And regardless of how hard I tried to justify in my mind or rationalize or reinterpret their choices, they were imperfect. They were human. And in many ways, their imperfections were the starting point of my own growth as a young man, as I weighed the choices in my own life. Most of us, I assume, were taught from an early age that Jesus is perfect. Yes? This isn't new information. (laughs) Jesus is perfect. Everything he did was right. He never fell short. He never misspoke. He was always aligned with God's will. So everything he did and said was perfect. If he spoke harshness instead of compassion, perfect. If he dismissed rather than embraced, perfect. It's all justified. It's all perfect because he's perfect and our theology constructed constructed around him is also perfect. It's perfect. The problem, though, with this assessment of Jesus' life is that it's not true. He was not perfect. He was not perfect. That may shock some of you. Be shocked. Yes, he was fully God. Yet, he was also fully human, capable of all of our human faults, which is to say, he struggled. He discovered, he grew, he rested, he faltered, he learned. He feared, he changed, he overcame. Which I believe is really good news. It's really good news. Because through his imperfection, he becomes real. He becomes approachable. And most importantly, he becomes an authentic reflection of us. In today's gospel lesson, he's far from home, he's without his companions, and the text is clear, he wants to be alone. However, his solitude is interrupted. A Gentile woman barges in the house, falls at his feet, begs him, to save her daughter. And Jesus looks at this woman, this pleading woman, and he ignores her suffering. He dismisses her with these words, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Now those of you who who might be struggling with this notion that Jesus is not perfect, this is the moment by which you can justify his behavior. What theological gymnastics do you need to employ to uphold the assessment of Jesus' perfection? Well, maybe... Maybe just this once he wants to care for himself. Maybe this is a treat yourself moment. Treat yourself, Jesus. (laughs) Maybe he's tired of people always begging something from him. Leave me alone. Maybe he's just describing the reality of his mission. The healing I offer is for the children of Israel. Period. Or maybe his his ethnic slur, his referring to her as a dog, it's just a test to assess her faith. All possibilities, I guess. Yet I feel strongly none of those possibilities do justice to the power of the story. In truth, I believe those possibilities diminish the story. I mean, let's just say, for the moment, Jesus is fully human, a product of his time and place, shaped as we are by our culture, shaped by cultural biases, entitlements, Additionally, and this is important, he is God incarnate, a holy child. He is still working out the scope and the meaning of his divine vocation. He knows that he's meant to share the good news. He knows that. But even he needs to be made aware of how radically good that good news is. Is. So this woman, she takes him to church. She turns that slur back around. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She did not come to play with Jesus. In her response, she speaks to the very heart of his ministry. His purpose. And he's unaware of it. After all, he is the Messiah who eats with the outcasts, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the unclean. He is the one who breaks bread with the unlovable, the sinners. It is the table where he shows the world who God is. In this woman, she wants her share of the good news. Where is my place at your table? When will your goodness be good enough for me and my child? How, if you are who you say you are, can you allow me to go hungry? She knows the good news is there. She knows it. At that table, and she pushes him to look harder, to push further, to see better, to realize that there's enough good news to go around. Expand the circle. Dissolve the boundaries. Widen the table. Preach your good news to me. Is it so bad, so hard to believe that he is imperfect? He hears her. He acknowledges her wisdom, her instruction. He changes. He moves from an attitude of exclusion to an attitude of inclusion. He allows himself to be humbled, to be rearranged, to be remade. For those of you who like biblical pearls of historical accounts, this is the only time in his life that he loses an argument. In this moment, I believe Jesus comes to a new understanding of who he is and what he is called to do. In a sense, his life is opened up. And he understands his purpose is bigger than he initially thought. Following his encounter with a Gentile woman, Jesus encounters a deaf man, another Gentile. And as Jesus places his fingers in the man's ears, he looks up, and he sighs. It's such a peculiar and interesting gesture. That sigh. It's often overlooked. Why include it in this story? I cannot help but wonder if if his sigh and his upward glance is a recognition to God. okay, I get it. I understand now. I will listen. I will learn. I will open my life to others. I'm working on it. Is he less because he grew through his imperfection? Are you less when you grow and change through your imperfections? It's a hard no for me, but you'll need to wrestle with that yourself. You see, in today's lesson, Jesus shows us what it means to grow as a child of God. We can only ever become what God intends for us. When we open our lives to the truth that God is not done with us yet. God wasn't done with a 20 year old sergeant in the army. He wasn't done with a 30 year old rabbi. God wasn't done with a 72 year old farmer. God is not done with you. We are a work in progress, changing and evolving. It was true for him, and it's true for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.